What's going on, everybody? Today is Wednesday, June 16th. This is episode three of season four of Tell Me What You Know. And today's show is going to be a little bit different uh, than what we've done in the past. Um, We have, of course, done some interviews with guests after we've discussed a topic on, on an episode before. But today we have a guest joining us for the entirety of the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we are joined by a very special guest, Natalie Blazer Esquire. We're going to be talking about <laughs> the world of law school admissions. Natalie is the Dean of Admissions at University of Virginia Law School. Before being accepted into the world of admissions, <laughs> see what I did right there? Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> she was a senior litigation associate at Weill Goschel in New York City, as well as a legal intern at the Sarajevo War Crimes Tribunal in Bosnia and Herzegovina. <laughs> She is also my fiance. (laughs) I was going to say she's engaged to Uh, one of the hosts on the show. Um, I always always get in the way, Michael. I know. You do. It's also her birthday tomorrow. Happy birthday, Natalie. Say hello. Thank you guys for that lovely introduction. I'm so honored. I'm a loyal listener and... Um, have been asking the Michaels when I can get on. And so I'm, I'm super excited to be here and share my, you know, limited knowledge, but maybe tell you something you don't know. Yeah, which I can guarantee you there's going to be a lot of that. Um, <laughs> before we get into all of that, though, we're going to, of course, start with our news dump at the top of the show. First thing I want to touch on is a man named Ziona Chana. Do either, either of you know who that is? No. no. Well, he uh, is a man thought to have been the head of the largest family in the world, and he passed away at the age of 76 recently. He had 39 wives and 94 children, part of a local Christian sect uh, in India that allowed polygamy, even though polygamy is completely illegal in India. Um, mm. He and his family lived in a four-story pink structure that had about 100 rooms in a small remote village called Baktong in India. And like, I guess eventually this town became a tourist attraction, I assume because of this giant family. Uh, the clan totaled 167 members in all, if you count the grandchildren. I think he had 33 grandchildren as well. Uh, he married his first wife when he was 17 and said he once married 10 wives in a single year. So, do you think yep. he could name all of his wives? Do you think he could? <laughs> I mean, do you think he could name yeah. all of his kids? No. Uh... Maybe not at 76. I'm not sure. It's a lot of, that's a big brood. It's got goes brood X. Like, <laughs> to touch on our Don't get any ideas, Michael. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't even You have to specify, good. Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, One we'd, have to, we'd have to move to a very unique province in India, and that doesn't sound too good. A sparkling land called Utah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's Ziona Chana, uh, big family guy, the family man, some call him, I think. He is in Ripley's, believe it or not, for having the largest family uh, in the world. Um, but again, I think that is only if you count his grandchildren, which I count as grandchildren. I'll give it to the guy. Yeah. Yeah, throw those in there. Yeah, perfect. Second thing I want to talk about is our, uh, not our, but is ERCOT, the Electrical Liability Council of Texas. They're back in the news We talked about them earlier this year when they had all those cold, freezing temperatures um, that knocked out, you know, 70 percent of their customers power across uh, across the state of Texas. Um, 
you know, a lot of people in the know said that Texas's power grid is prepared for warm weather, but it wasn't suited for cold weather. And that's why there are so many issues. Well, it turns out it's not super prepped for hot weather either. Uh, ERCOT, uh, we know, is it serves over 25 million Texas customers and accounts for about 90% of the state's electric load and what they are calling uh, unplanned outages. They're now asking customers to kind of tone back on their electric usage. Um, they're Most notably, they're saying, please keep your thermostats at 78 degrees while you're home, 85 while you're away, and 82 while you're sleeping. And just to what? note, today in Houston, it's a tepid 94 degrees with 45% humidity. Eight, 78 degrees is not AC. No. You know, you know what I mean? No. I like my like, house to be 78 uh, maybe in February, but usually never. R- never. That's <laughs> insane. Yeah. I mean, so they're asking people to stop running their appliances or say, you know, don't wash clothes at least during peak hours from three to seven. Um, you know, the, these guys, they, the, there's three power grids in the United States. It's the, the Eastern, the Western and, and Texas basically. So they've got yeah. their own thing going on there. They, they wanted to be, have the feds hands off of it, off of it, I guess. Uh, this is of course, you know, led to incredible memes and tweets that I've found to be hilarious, but like one person said, sorry, you're a cop. And my dad said, I'm not allowed to touch the thermostat. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people posting pictures of their air conditioner saying with the caption saying, you know, come and take it. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. So. <laughs> and then my, my favorite was a picture of Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz in an airport uh, in a parka heading to Alaska. Okay, yeah, so. of course. That sounds about right. I actually recently had to walk Natalie through our AC system and how yeah. the temperatures we need to put our system on. So what are your, what do you, well, so we're we're way lower than 78. I mean, during the day we might take it up to 72, 73. Mm -hmm. And then at night we want to drop it down to a nice, like 69, 68. Nice. Uh, I have to sleep with 68 degrees. Oh, okay. Uh, Exactly. Exactly. And so I, what I used to do is turn the AC on at night. And then during the day I, I run pretty cold. So I like it to be warm during the day. Uh-huh. So then I would just turn the AC off entirely during the day. And my goal was like, you cannot do that. You just have Many to times. turn the temperature up, but keep the air on. Yes. So we oh, had, yeah. No, that also uh, makes your bill a lot worse. You turn it on and off. Exactly. Yes. So I, had to ex- I-, I had to go <laughs> nope. through the explanation of the levels of the house and how yep. heat rises. <laughs> And oscillating between off and on is like yeah. a is a very power intensive intensive move. Get a this fan. That's why I'm not I'm not on a show to talk about heating a home, heating and cooling a home. That's not that's my expertise. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> that's where we are. Uh, last thing I wanted to touch on was this uh, COVID nineteen. I guess it's still a thing. Um, two weeks ago, this is how it's affecting sports, though. Two weeks ago. John Rahm was a six-shot lead after three rounds of the Memorial. He had to withdraw because of the positive COVID case. And now Chris Paul of the Phoenix Suns is scratched from the lineup. He's got to enter the NBA's COVID-19 health and safety protocols. Um, I don't know if he – I assume he has it. I, what I don't know is if he's been vaccinated. So I wonder if he has he, been vaccinated, that if the like the waiting period will be shortened or something like that. I have heard he's vaccinated. Okay. Uh, and I wonder if he was just exposed to somebody who had it and they're like forcing him even though he's vaccinated. So I, I'm hoping it's, yeah. it's a short delay. 
Yeah, I mean the Suns look like a a freaking wagon right now. They just swept the uh, the Nuggets and are waiting to face either the Jazz or the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. That series currently tied at two to get two games to two. Um, yeah, like John Rahm was not vaccinated, so he was no. put into the contact tracing protocol during the Memorial, and they had to take tests every day, and he hit a positive test, I guess. So he he said he had had one shot, I think. But I think he got one shot after he found out he had been exposed. He like he like, I heard this on another pod on, on part of my take, but they said it was basically he tried to plan B COVID. He tried <laughs> to plan like, B COVID. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I if I just take this vaccine real quick, it'll just get rid Not of yeah. it. Cost yeah. him one point six million dollars. Yeah, crazy. exactly. Also, uh, on the topic of the Suns, did you see the Suns and Four guy, the guy who fought the two Nuggets fans in the crowd and then beat the crap out of them and then said Suns and Four. I haven't seen the video, but I've seen I've seen people talking about him. The guy's I, a hero. I, I feel as a as a as a Phoenix as a Suns as a Phoenix native, a Suns lover all my life. I feel bad. I, I haven't really watched them this year. And I haven't watched that much NBA. So I feel yeah, bad they, kind of like jumping on the Suns bandwagon, even though I'm like, you know, obviously supporting them. Yeah, no, I think uh, it'd be great to see see that happen. It, Other injuries awesome. as well. Kawhi Leonard's hurt and Embiid. It's just like who knows what's going to happen. But yeah, no, I, interesting it, to watch. This is, this is a really good opportunity for the Suns to to win a championship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Enough about what is going on in our world. Let's talk about how to get into law school or how to get into deciding whether or not people can attend your law school. Which I think that's something else you do. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So Natalie. Yes. How does one get into admissions and what intrigued you about going into law school admissions? So it's not a super common path, I would say, out of law school. Um, But for me, I loved my time in law school. Everybody knows that. I loved UVA Law. This is three of the best years of my life um, until I met Michael, of course. <laughs> and All right, hold on a second. I will <laughs> stop this show one. right now. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I loved law school. I, I loved being um, an attorney, actually. I, I, you know, as cheesy as it is, I think the law is a very noble profession. Despite, you know, some bad apples, I think it's extremely important. Um, I, I you know, take pride in, in, in being a a lawyer. Um, practicing at a big law firm is not for everyone. Um, I, I actually really liked it for during the time I was there. I was there seven years and my firm was having me, um, recruit at law schools a lot, like for summer associates and for hiring and things like that. And I love doing it. And every time I was on a law school campus, I just felt this, sort of this is where I belong feeling like talking to students, talking to other administrators, learning what, you know, their career goals are, things like that. So I just started thinking about it more and more and and kind of looked at these other administrators at at law schools and thinking like, this is their full-time job. Like they're not getting back on a plane to New York tonight to like bill hours through the night. Um, You know, I could do that. So after a lot of research and, and, and all that, um, you know, I went for it. It's a huge pay cut and I, I had to be prepared for that, but it was definitely worth it. And I was at a couple other schools um, before coming back to UVA, which was a dream come true, obviously. 
um, to be back at my alma mater. So, yeah, Charlottesville is amazing. It's easy to live here. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, all right. So I. Well, let me somebody... just let me just stop right okay. there real yeah, quick. Yeah. Uh, Charlottesville, the reason is also the reason we're not doing this podcast in person right now. Oh, that is true. <laughs> But it's all for the You got to break some eggs. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, all right. So I am somebody who has decided I want to become a lawyer. What are the steps I need to go to to get into a law school? Like what, what tests do I need to take and what are the steps? Yeah. So so in the U.S., um, for if all ABA accredited law schools, so basically all of them, um, you have to have a four-year bachelor's degree, which you have, University of Georgia. Um, go dogs. And go dogs. And then, you know, it used to be that most people kind of went straight through from from undergrad. You could definitely still do that. Um, but a lot of people work first, work for a few years. Um, really, you used to have to take the LSAT, the law school admissions test. That was required. Um, but a few years ago... Um, schools started accepting the GRE and now the GMAT as well. Um, some schools have certain arrangements where you can actually um, come on an accelerated program with their undergrad without ever taking a standardized test. Um, but but that's pretty rare and you have to be like at the very top of your undergrad. And so let's just, you know, for all intents and purposes, you need to take either the LSAT, the GRE or the GMAT. And then you need letters of recommendation, you need a resume, you need to write your personal statement. And then each school has, um, you know, it's other additional requirements, like maybe other additional essays or, or um, your background information that you fill out. But that's, that's pretty much most of it. And then a lot of schools, including UVA, will also interview candidates. So you have to, um, you know, be prepared for an interview as well. So are you the so one that do- does the interviews? I do, yeah. Or my, yeah. Um, I have two directors also, and so um, I usually will um, sort of distribute uh, applicants to the directors, and then I'll interview a lot of them myself. Um, you know, sometimes I'll see something in the file, and I'm like, I really want to talk to that person, so I'll keep that mm-hmm. person for myself. But yes, it's me, me and my staff who do the interviews. But not every law school does it that way. Some of them will have their alumni interview people. Um, some of them will kind of outsource it, but we do it all in-house, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Do you also, do you personally come up with the questions for the application, like the essay questions? Yes. Um, so we are actually in the process of doing that right now. Every year you're, you update your application. Um, uh, at, so for example, you could add a new essay question. You could add, we have a lot of background questions at the UVA Law app, so we could tweak those we could um you know a lot of schools are um thinking about adding certain things on the like for a great example that most schools do now is asking if you're a first generation college student Um, we like to know that information and it's not always readily apparent so we ask if you are the first person in your family to attend a four-year undergraduate institution and also if you're the first in your family to attend graduate school just extra, just like extra something to know. But yes, we, we come up with all of that and, and, you know, nothing's going to change wildly from year to year. It's pretty predictable, but yeah, we can make changes if we want. 
you ask people like uh, <clears throat> how many ping pong balls fit in a Boeing 747, stuff like that? Or is that just, <laughs> no. like, is that just Apple? <laughs> no. Just tech companies. And, 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 and as, as standard as the law school applications themselves are, we obviously can ask things in the interview, not like that, not like an Apple right. or a McKinsey or, you know, yeah. we're not trying to trick people. Um, mm -hmm. We're really just trying to see like what the person is like and what would they be like at UVA law or whatever law school. Um, what are their reasons for going to law school? How interested do they seem in us? Because we want them interested in us just as much as we're in them. So an interview is just a great way to like get to know people a little bit better. Um, so the interview is more personal. And I just want to go back to the LSAT. Because do most people take an LSAT? Like Most people do because... So it started that only like a, a handful of schools were taking a GRE. So if you wanted to keep your options open and apply widely you still had to take the LSAT. Now more and more schools are taking GRE and GMAT, but but still it's the most common. It's like a tiny part of our applicant pool that does GRE or GMAT. Most people are still doing the LSAT. So it's, and, you know, the Law School Admission Council kind of runs a lot of things. So like they are compiling your application materials and sending them to schools and things like that. So they're kind of just still have a hold on the whole system. Okay. I've only taken one of those tests, so I don't know for sure, but I, it seems to me that the GRE would be the easiest of the three. So is, is it like weighted in terms of like, do you have to do, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. So but. yeah, it does. A lot of people ask a very common question I get is which, which test, test should I take? Right. Which test should I take? Yeah. Or like, mm -hmm. do you prefer it one test over the other? Yeah. We, I mean, obviously we're all more familiar with LSAT cause we've been, most of us who are lawyers took the LSAT ourselves and also have been using the LSAT as a tool for way yeah. longer than we've been using GRE or GMAT. I see the percentiles of GRE and GMAT and there's all these different sections and it's just like, I'm used to just having one score, right? That being right. said, we really don't have a preference for one over the other. Um, the GRE has three components and the GMAT has, I believe, three or four. Do we see GMAT almost almost never? I can't um, imagine GREs. anybody would would want to take that test to try to get yeah, the score. Yeah, even just the score report is yeah. very complicated. Um, the GRE is a little bit more common. I will tell you, I think people think that the GRE is, is easier, but mm. many people, and this is very anecdotal, so don't quote me on this, but many people submit an application when they've taken the GRE and the LSAT and you're never you're, you're not like scoring off the charts on the GRE and, and tanking the LSAT like usually your percentiles are um, similar across tests yeah, okay. it's just like your percentiles based on who else was taking that mm -hmm. particular test so like you could you could posit that the LSAT, you might get a lower percentile versus other LSAT takers. But I mean, it's all, okay. it's, we're just looking for kind of where you land. And at the end of the day, like people put so much weight or people stress out about standardized tests. We're really just looking for like, we want to make sure that if we admit you, you can like do well. Like we don't want to admit anyone who's just going to like struggle so the LSAT or whatever the standardized test is and the GPA together, the undergraduate GPA are like our sort of metrics to gauge that. 
um, how, how someone might do at the, at the law school. So the LSAT, would you say they're trying to, like the test is trying to suss out uh, certain logic ability? Like uh, it's, it, it's trying to find people who would be good lawyers or potentially think through the questions you might encounter in law school? I wouldn't say the LSAT is seeing who would be a good lawyer. I think they can see who who can think logically and and kind of um, who can think like a lawyer. Like a lot of people can score off the charts on the LSAT because they just their brain works in that way, but they won't necessarily like be a quote unquote good lawyer. Um, logic games are the bane of a lot of people's existence. I mean, I found them challenging. Like. Um, but, you know, it's not terrible. A lot of people can get into L- LSAT studying. It can be, like, fun because <laughs> you're – it's like games. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of like you're playing a game. It's just when you – your kind of future is banking on it. It's, like, less fun and more stressful. Yeah. But, yeah. I- I've so, played games before. Uh, no, LSAT. <laughs> it's it's not that. All right. Um, well, we are going to do a practice question. Ooh, I was going to say, I didn't want to put you on the spot, but can you ask me, oh, who are you? At? Are you are you asking this, Michael? I, I, I went to LSAC.org wow. or com or uh, the EDU. Um, could be EDU. I don't know. Uh, and they had some uh, sample questions listed on their website. So I'm going to read these. These are I, I, I've never taken the LSAT or anything, so I didn't know what the format exactly was. And, and I always hear, oh, they're logic games. But I didn't realize they're they're like this. All right, so I'm well, going to Well, that's read the only once I just should also say logic games is only one section of the test. You also have like analytical reasoning and logical. So, anyways, just wanted to say that. Okay. All right. Well, this is one example of a question you might find when you take the LSAT. Okay, right, so, so are you going to ask it? I'm going to answer it, then Natalie's going to let me know if I got into school or not. <laughs> yes, Correct. Let's this do is it that this way. is for all the marbles, okay. Michael. <laughs> right. Full um, scholarship. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it and here, folks. What's difficult about this is like I'm not even sure this was really going to come across in in a podcast because you you really have to like see these but uh michael we'll see how you do all right so these are two people talking to each other uh laird and kim um this is laird uh pure research provides us with new technologies that contribute to saving lives even more worthwhile than this however is its role in expanding our knowledge and providing new unexplored ideas then kim says your priorities are mistaken Saving lives is what counts most of all. Without pure research, medicine would not be as advanced as it is. Laird and Kim disagree on whether pure research, blank, first answer, derives its significance in part from its providing new technologies, B, expands the boundaries of our knowledge of medicine, C, should have the saving of human lives as an important goal, D, has its most valuable achievements in medical applications, or or E has Jesus. any has any value apart from its role in providing new technologies to save lives. So this again, I, I think that no, you're to, right. This does not come across well in a podcast. It, it doesn't come across well. <laughs> I have to. Like, I would have to read this question 15 times just to understand what it was asking. Yeah, I was going to say until like I personally am a very visual person, so like I have to see it written down. A lot of what studying for the LSAT is meant to achieve is like how to parse these out like quickly because like time is just like mm-hmm. again my, I'm like you Michael Brown like I I would have to read that you know multiple times but once you're in the groove of studying you kind of are like okay 
this is what they're looking for, and this is how I'm going to parse it out. Right. And um, it's probably, I would assume it's similar to the GMAT in that there's like tactics you take that it's like, okay, this is this kind of question. Here's what I need to focus on and not have to like actually read the entire thing potentially. Yeah. I'll give you I'm an gonna example. I'm going to say C. I'm going to say C, Michael. The answer is D. Uh, has its most valuable achievements in medical applications. I guess hmm. I'll go to a non-accredited school. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will give you an example of like a logic game, a, something similar to a logic game that I come across in my daily life. Um, I don't know if you guys do, but like if I'm trying to schedule like 25 different people throughout a day, like Michael Pelquin can only meet on Wednesday from two to four. He he can meet all day Friday. He cannot meet on Monday. And then you have like 10 different people like, and you have to kind of like slot them together. It's like, if this, then that, but not this mm-hmm. and this, but you know, just a lot of moving parts. Again, it's kind of how your brain like runs these kind of logic trees. Um, and some people, again, it could be kind of fun if you're just doing it for fun, which most people are not. So yeah, it's right. like holding different pieces of information in your head at the same time. Correct. Got yes. it. Got it. Interesting. Um, yep, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, the LSAT is meant to predict. It's meant to correlate to your first year of law school performance. So when you're learning the first, like, the black letter law in your first year, contracts, criminal law, towards property, civil procedure, um, constitutional law, it's meant to gauge how you will pick up on like how the law works and and it and it I would say it does a decent job of correlating but we know in law school admissions it's not going to be the end all be all which is why it's not the only component of the application so there's a lot more to it than that all right well on from the dry logic games on to what are some of your favorite interview questions for somebody coming to who wants to go to law school mm. and why? So um, one thing that I, I always ask people is uh, um, to tell me about a time that they have made a mistake and what they did to fix it. Um, and I don't even really care about the mistake or what they did to fix it. I just find it so interesting the way that people um, – whether they have humility or not and whether they have like kind of a faux sense of humility, you can just tell a lot by the way people speak about themselves and in, in, in what should be a humbling moment. Um, a lot of times I get the like, well, I did this, but it ended up actually being for the best, even though it was, it's like that to me is not a real answer. Like I want to hear about someone who really, really, really messed up and like took a huge learning experience. Not like, Oh, it turned out for the better. So it's just, I find it to be a little interesting experiment to see how people answer that. Hmm. I also ask what they like to do for fun um, because, you know, at all these high-flying law schools, you just get a lot of people who are going to be stressed out and, and, and just not be able to have balance while they're in school and they're going to be a handful for us, <laughs> to be honest, um, once they get here. So I like to see well-rounded people. Like, what do you do to blow off steam or to connect with people um, to 
to move your body or to, you know, um, relax, recharge. That's probably more of a UVA thing than a lot of other law schools, but I like to know that stuff. Hmm. Yeah. So if somebody walks in and says, my biggest weakness is that I just work too hard. Yeah. I'm too detail oriented. Like, right. come on. Yeah. So, and I, look, I also, you know, I just like to gauge, you know, what are they, a lot of people don't know exactly or this will change, but I always ask like, what is driving you to go to law, to apply to law school at this point in your life? Like, mm-hmm. People don't need to know exactly what they want to do, but they should have some good reasons. Um, and a lot of times my questions will very much depend on what's in that specific application. Like um, I don't just kind of have a list that I ask everyone. A lot of times I like to probe certain things that I find in the application. That makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Um, if you could change something about the admissions process, what would it be? I would rely, I would like if we could get rid of U.S. News and rankings, U.S. Mm. News and World Report rankings. Um, unfortunately, we are all beholden to that system. Um, applicants and admissions deans. Um, I've been lucky enough to work at three top 14 law schools and, and, and we are in a kind of rarefied position that we can take whoever we want. We have our pick, like we're, yes, we're competing against each other and that's very tough, but we're not, you know, scrapping for applications by any means. Right. So we kind of have our choice of, we can be very selective and that's great, but you know, you get, applicants who are very just tied up in the rankings uh, that like the more you kind of study the rankings the less the I I don't think people really study the rankings I'll just say that they just have like I want to go to the number four school it's better than the number eight school just like better whatever that means Um, and again I say this as someone who is in the top 14 and that ranking system 100% benefits me it, it just does like people want to go to a top 14 law school. They want to go to the number eight law school, UVA. So it it's, it's sort of a blessing and a curse because I don't like that we have to be so beholden to standardized test scores and GPAs and things like that, even though they are very useful tools, as I was saying before, to predict someone's performance is hard. And I don't, I can't propose a better system. <laughs> so we, we have it. We have it, but if in a perfect world, you know, I think it would be a little bit less constrained if I can say that. I want to add something to that or quite another question, I guess. Why, uh, top 14, why 14? So good question. And it's actually a little bit of a misnomer because there are a few schools that are like tied in there. So it's like, depending on the year, it can be not, not 14 even. Like, yeah. but the, but the rank one through 14 stays the same. And like, you could have two schools that are number eight, for example. Right. The reason it is, is because historically that top 14 has not changed. Like the top 20 has changed and the top 10 has changed, but the mm-hmm. top 14 has remained pretty static. Like, um, with the exception of Georgetown, sorry, they just fell out. I was going to say, felt, I see they're at 15 now. Yeah, they fell yeah. out like 
um, right before I started, they fell out and then back in right before mm-hmm. I started there. So they kind of are on the cusp. Like they're still considered top 14 school, but if they keep slipping, that could change things. Like UCLA now is, is 14 um, and they have not been in the top 14 for a while. So they call it, I don't know how it arrived at that number specifically, mm-hmm. but like those have just been historically like the elite law schools and it happened to be that they were ranked one through 14. You said that Georgetown fell out and then back in. Would you say that you were responsible for bringing them back in the top 14? It happened as soon as I was hired. So I don't want to speculate, but you know, it was, it was nice. That's enough circumstantial evidence for me. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So you used to be a lawyer. So you have, uh, I'm still a lawyer. I'm just non-practicing. I call it non-practicing. You were non-practicing. Okay. Like yes. I'm a non-practicing Christian. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Similar. Gotcha. Um, all right. So you were a non-practicing lawyer. And do you miss being a lawyer? Like, do you miss being a practicing lawyer? And follow-up question to it. Do you think that law school prepares you well for the actual job? So first of all, I do not miss the practice of law. And that's because I was in what's known as big law, which, you know, is, again, sort of like the rarefied, like top firms. And that's it's tough. Like it's it it was very demanding. And and I I liked it at the time, but I don't think I could do that now. I don't have the energy for like those hours. They paid obviously very well. And I needed that salary when I lived in New York City. But like, I don't need that. I mean, it's it's not it's never going to be worth it to me. It's worth it to a lot of people, and a lot of people enjoy it a lot more. And they're whatever. I loved practicing. I did a ton of pro bono work. I really got connected to my clients. I I feel like I had a great time. My firm had great people, but I do not miss it um, because of the lifestyle that that practicing law um, just was. And and again, it's great for my twenties. Like have the energy to kind of like burn the candle at both ends or whatever. Nice to have a salary. And and by the way, if I didn't like practicing law, I would feel conflicted about being in law school admissions <laughs> because we're admitting people to enter the legal profession. So I think like, I think there's a lot of value in practicing law and, and a lot of people go on to thrive and enjoy it. Like your sister, Michael, like partner at my old firm, like, She's killing it and like she loves it and she's like her deals or whatever on the front page of the newspaper. Like that's awesome. Um I was gonna say your your law firm does have good people. It has great people. My yeah. future S I L. Um <laughs> so so yes, I, I don't I don't miss it, but I I have so many wonderful mentors from that time in my life. They have kept up with my career and are just amazing and Look, a lot of people don't stay in big law forever. It's meant, the business model is meant to train you. They give the best training on on earth. Um, they have the, the time and the resources and the people to train young attorneys. And then they're they're perfectly like expecting you to then go on to be in-house counsel or to clerk for a judge or to go into law school admissions or go to a smaller firm in a, in a smaller town or what have you. Um and then the second question, do I think law school prepares you? 
to be a lawyer? Was that the question? Yeah. So, y- yes and no. Um, law school definitely teaches you how to think like a lawyer. I'm sure you guys have heard that. Um, it definitely teaches you, like, it gives you a lot of tools. Like, I always say that once you start law school, once you're, like, halfway through your 1L year, your brain will change and you will never go back to the way it was before. You will never see the world the way you did before. Everything to you will be, like, a tort or a contract or a crime. You know, like, it's pretty cool, I think, um, the way that your just brain shifts. And that's what it's meant to do. Um, you're supposed to look at the world through a legal lens. So it it does that. And you need that, obviously, to be a lawyer. Um, studying for the bar, you're learning a lot of, you know, substantive law about where you're going to practice. So I took the New York bar. Um, a lot of people are surprised to find out that law school doesn't prepare you for the bar. You have to kind of, I mean, it does, again, the way of thought, but you have to study anew for the bar after you graduate law school. Once you get to your firm or whatever you're doing, depending on your practice group, you're just going to be doing so much on the job learning. Um, Like for example, I was in a products liability mass torts group. So the case I worked on my entire career in addition to many other cases. But one of the major cases I worked on was, you know, a fiber, uh, our client was a fiber manufacturer. I had to learn about polymer chemistry and the physics of a bullet piercing a bullet resistant vest. I had to learn about heat and humidity and, and a lot of things about the police and the Marines. And like, there is just so much that you need to learn that's specific to your practice group and to your clients and to your cases that like law school just you could never know at the time what you're going to take on um but there's a lot that you can do in law school these days to prepare you like clinical education is a huge part of law school now so i was in the human rights law clinic and i learned about what it means to prepare a brief for a refugee for example and i did a lot of that work when i was practicing so i kind of had some background um but it's going to be a combination of thinking like a lawyer that you learn in law school and then on the job training. Like, again, I, I mentioned that big law is one of the best training grounds for lawyers. Like they had to train you how to file a motion and be like, write a client memo and, you know, do a lot of stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. That you're not necessarily going to be doing a ton of in law school. Hmm. Can I go back to the first part of the question that Michael asked there? Yeah. Um, how long ago were you practicing? When did you make the switch to admissions? My last day of practicing law was October 1st, 2015. Um, okay. And so how long had you been there? You've I had been, been there years, seven years. Yep. Okay. So like right if you had kept going, you'd be like in your 13th year, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I would. So, but my question is then like you said that you don't have the energy to like, would your hours be the same even if you were like this far along in your career? So they like, would, would probably it still be, be as demanding worse. Yeah. So, so by the time you're like getting into the ninth, 10th year, you're like making partner or mm-hmm. counsel or they're, or like they don't really love having associates like 13th year associates hanging out. They are, they do exist. They do exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a partner, I mean, it depends on your group, but like, 
a lot of times being a partner is more work than being an associate yeah. because you have to go out and get clients. You have to keep the like, yes, you have associates who can do work for you. But I mean, you can ask Michael's sister, like being a partner is a ton of work. Like, sure. I don't know if it would be more or less or the same. I, I can't imagine like it, it would get, it doesn't get easier. Like you become, you get more status and you get your pick of the cases and you can like, again depending on your group kind of cherry pick maybe a little bit more like what you're doing but it's certainly yeah. at least from what i've seen a lot of associates leave because they look at the partners they work for and think i don't want that life mm -hmm. like i see what you're doing you're working more hours than i am and yes you're getting paid a lot but again it's all about your values like i value my time my personal time more than more than that amount of money Sure. Okay. Good answer. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> we'll accept it. Michael's like, yeah. you don't need to be around here. Go make more money. Yeah, you can be making a lot more money. <laughs> How much more money we think? Are we talking yeah, about? really. Yeah. What is yeah. the dollar That's amount here? Yeah. Uh, Michael, did you have a question about torts? I know you. No, as yeah. Well, uh, my question: uh, What is what is what are torts? <laughs> so, a tort. It's like one of people's favorite like legal terms. Torts is one of your first year law school. They sound courses. delicious. They are. <laughs> my um, my torts professor Barbara Amrakost. She still works at the law school, and she's you know wonderful, and I see her a lot, um, which is really fun. Um, a tort is basically like um, it's it's you have criminal law, and then torts is like a civil harm. So like um, negligence, or um, you know. It's something where it's, let's say I, um, you know, you've wronged take me. over your personal space. Or what did you say? You've wronged me. It's I've wronged you. It's a civil wrong. Um, okay. Duty breach causation damages. I'll never forget that. Um, those are the um, elements of negligence. So if you have a duty to somebody, mm -hmm. like I have a duty to keep people who are coming to my restaurant safe okay. by shoveling the sidewalk out front when it's snowing. I breach that duty. So first of all, I have to have that duty. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm the restaurant owner, I have that duty. If you're a patron, you do not have that duty. So then I breach it by not shoveling. Causation, the third element, it caused somebody to fall or slip and fall and break their leg. Damages. What are the damages? Maybe they just slipped and fell and nothing happened to them. You would not have mm. negligence. You would only okay. have duty breach Three causation. Damages. You broke your leg. You're out of work for two months. You have medical expenses, blah, blah, blah. So if all those are met, then you can bring, you know, a civil claim. And uh, But there's a lot more to torts than just negligence. That's like what sticks out for me. Um, that was... Yeah. Uh, my favorite one of my favorite classes in law school um not to brag but professor armacost emailed me after the final exam and asked if she could put my final exam in the law library for future students to read as a model wow so not to that's brag. the one and only time that happened to me in law school so torts was torts came 
easier to me than other classes because it's a lot of memorization. <laughs> um, oh, okay. And I'm good at memorizing. I'm less good at like parsing through like really complicated like hypotheticals like in con law or something like that so so you said that going to law school will change your change the way you think forever uh do you like to debate issues in uh in your life even no matter how trivial they are would you Uh, would you find (laughs) do you have an example (laughs) this feels like a pointed question are you asking me or her i could answer that if you (laughs) need to (laughs) um the thing is, is like, first of all, people think that the law is a very adversarial profession, which it is. It's like party A versus party B. It's the state versus whoever. But it's also a very like collaborative, um, you know, ex- uh, profession too. You're working on a team. You're helping a client. You're, you know. So to be argumentative, a lot of people say like, I, my parents always said I should go to law school because I love to argue. And it's like, yes, I guess that's part of it. But it's it's more about finding solutions, I would say. Um, I like to debate if it's something that I know I'm right on, which is not that <laughs> often. <laughs> um, I think that makes I, sense. I, you know, it's like I don't like to just go out way, way in front of my skis and like start talking about stuff that I don't know about. You know, um, I love a good intellectual discussion. Definitely. Um, I love parsing language like Michael going back to the um, heating and cooling of the house. Like <laughs> if you say like I, I think that words matter and words have very specific meaning and I like to always choose the right words for what I mean. So in rather than saying turn the air up because that could be ambiguous, meaning like do you want it? Yeah, what does he mean? Right? Hotter. Thank you, Michael Brown. <clears throat> turn the temperature yeah. up or make it cooler or make it hotter. So it's little things like that. Like I like language a lot and I like making sure I always have the right word more so than like you're wrong. I'm right. It's more like, let's find the best way to communicate this, which is a lot about what being, you know, that's a huge part of being a lawyer, right? Oral and written communication. I definitely love like writing. That's a huge part of being a lawyer. And also, yeah, coming to a solution together. Well, yeah, it's good because uh, I have a podcast where I talk about stuff I don't know about at all. <laughs> like I actually know what I'm talking about. You have so. another show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, before you get to this next question, can I yeah. ask uh, mine? Yes. And then it leads into this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This is probably the hardest question you have to answer today. You have to choose one. Fletcher Reed or L. Woods? Oh, Fletcher. Hands Fletcher, down, yeah. <laughs> hands down, hands down. You know I love Fletcher I was Fletcher scared you were going to say L. Woods, in which case no I would have said, okay, Fletcher Reed that never had a child. And then he gets <laughs> wild. <laughs> no, I have a soft spot for Fletcher Reed for sure. Okay, okay. what about Michael Clayton or Allie McBeal? Mm, Allie McBeal. I, only okay. because we used to watch that show at my house growing up. My dad is a lawyer and... Man, we loved that show. Like it was, mm. we always taped it. If you guys remember yeah. doing that, um, sure. I think my dad like taped over 
something really important once with like the Ally McBeal season finale, and I was just like, oh my gosh, oh. like he loved that show. Yeah. So a I video like of Allie. you doing like a kickflip or something. Yeah, some <laughs> some like <laughs> high school graduation, like no big deal. Yeah, Ally McBeal. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite legal movie? Oh my goodness. Um, I mean, it might be like <laughs> it could be liar liar, but I wouldn't call that a legal movie. Like they're way better, like legal dramas. Like that's a funny like comedy. Um, I think I don't know. Like I, I can't like think of any off the top of my head. Um, we watched uh, uh, my cousin Vinny with Reed. My Cousin Vinny, that actually is a great one. That is a great one. That's a great example because it really shows like kind of how the law works start to finish. Like, and a kind of cool like courtroom. I mean, that's movie's hilarious. So yeah, it might be My Cousin Vinny. Um, but I love like, as Peliquin knows, I love like Dateline. I love like, Shows where I love when they get to the court part and like what's going to happen with the trial and like, you know, law and order, like stuff like that. I mean, it's not always realistic, but some of these true crime shows, like I love seeing what they come up with or how they strategize. I loved like all those true crime, like legal documentaries, like the um, making of a murderer Mm. and like cereal and like all those things like how to put together a case and what can go wrong in a case and like appeals and like endless like drama i I love that stuff uh so talking about reality how realistic is legally blunt let me tell you that girl did not get uh 179 (laughs) i'm just gonna tell you that right now like 179 is basically perfect. Okay, the to- the the um, best possible score is a 180. It just didn't happen. Like yeah, but look what she went on to do. Uh, yeah, and also that <laughs> so so and a 40 from fashion fashion merchandising whatever from you know CU they call the school CULA not UCLA in the uh-huh. movie. So like okay fine like maybe. I also think it was odd, like the timing of her applying. She seemed to be applying rather late in the cycle. That's never a good idea. Uh, Now, look, Harvard has a big class, so they could definitely afford to take someone. Look, she would be hitting both their medians easily. She could be like a non-traditional applicant, like fashion. Like maybe they like that. Blonde white girl. Blonde white girl. Um, I would say maybe she, I mean, I would say the most unrealistic parts of the movie are later when they're working on the case as first year associates or as first year, sorry, first year law students working on a murder trial. (laughs) That doesn't happen. That is the most non-realistic part of that whole movie. And she's getting like, uh, you know, front row contact with the, the she's going to the jail and getting her alibi. Like, no. And for her to like discover and what happened remember uh, it's linda cardellini yeah yeah who plays the daughter yeah um and she just like confesses on the stand i mean yeah. well, and last question about this do you do people like cite 
Legally Blonde a lot? Like, do you see this as like reasons why they wanted to go to law school? So like, when they do, it's yeah. Sometimes people either say a quote from the movie in their personal statement, or they they bring it up in another way, and it's honestly kind of a red flag to me. Mm. It's like if you really if if this is what you're kind of lodestar is in terms of law school applications that's a little bit of a red flag it's a little bit just like juvenile like it's a fun movie but like imagine if i was applying to law school and said like i loved fletcher reed and liar liar like you would just be like this is not very sophisticated you know yeah um now look people can love movies and people can like that movie and people can think it's funny and great but like for people who say that that's like their inspiration the reason it's a red flag is because if you haven't done your due diligence to use a legal term to know that that's not what law school is like at all. And that's not what legal practice is like. Then that says more about you than the fact that you like the movie. Right. Yeah. It's like a know your audience type thing. It's a know your audience. And by the way, I'm saying this as someone who Michael, when was that? Like a few months ago, I was like, I just have a craving to watch that movie. Yeah. We watched it a few months ago. Because a few people had mentioned it in their personal statements. And even though I was irritated, I was like, I would like to go back. And like Luke Wilson is in it. I like him a lot. So, you know, it was like a fun, it was like fun. Um, But it's certainly not something you should be basing your, your like law school path on, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Well, Natalie, thank you so much for coming on. Tell me what you know. And Do you have maybe, any questions for us? Yeah, yeah. You, did this process just, go differently than, than you thought? I think you guys are super professional. You're both so handsome with your beards. And I really appreciate... I, I Michael Brown said he wouldn't mention this, but you guys were so patient while I got a million phone calls. This job is very busy. Dean of Admissions job is very busy, and I was late, so I'm sorry. The process was amazing. You guys are great. And I want to thank you for letting me come on on my last day at this age. It's like a milestone I wanted to hit before I turned the next age. You're welcome. I'm really grateful to you guys. Michael Michael number two is uh, actually holding a knife to Natalie right now. She gives us all these accolades. (laughs) You can't see it. Well, that is. I can't wait to hear it whenever it comes out. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, that leads us perfectly into this show will be out on month. Oh, well, it'll be out when you when you listen to this. So I don't know why I'm telling you this. <laughs> You're gonna already have listened to the entire show and know that the show is out on this day. <laughs> it will, but you you will be uh, a new age when this does finally air. Yes, but it was recorded before you turned. It's like a time warp. It's awesome. That's right. I think the only thing left to say is uh, the prosecution rests. Thank you for coming <laughs> on to the show today. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. It was awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks, I love it. Um, I love you. Oh, oh, God. God. Do I have to edit that out? You have to leave no, that in because I haven't because I have not quite uh, said thanks everybody for listening. <laughs> <And> <laughs> we understand if this is the last time, and uh, not because of you, Natalie, because of the co-host. Uh, everybody, be safe, and we will talk to you in a couple weeks.